Just like what we have sung a while ago, burdens are lifted in Calvary. Do you have that kind of burden in your life? It may be a spiritual burden. It could be a financial burden. It could be a personal burden, an emotional burden. But whatever that burden is, we are here together, not only to talk to one another, but also to encourage one another. The church is here to build each other's up. We need to encourage, we need to edify one another by encouraging one another. So the message this morning, I will title it, Do You Care Enough for God's Word? Because we care for so many things in this world, but there's one thing that we forget to care enough about, and that is the work of God, the kingdom of God. And we don't only go to church on Sunday to listen to the word of God and have fellowship, but we learn the message from God's word in order for us to apply that all throughout the week. Because all throughout the week, that's the test, that's the challenge for us to carry out the work of God. As it says a while ago in, our, in my announcement, it says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, the laborers are few. There's too many people to bring to church, too many people to bring to the feet of the cross, but not many people are willing and committed to share the good news to those people. Because we care so much about ourselves that we don't care enough for God's kingdom. Most of you probably know this um, playwright, George Bernard Shaw, and he said this, the worst sin toward our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them. That's the essence of inhumanity. We care only about ourselves, but when it's about other people, we're so indifferent. I, me, myself, that's what I care about, not other people. But we will see here in the 13 chapters of the book of Nehemiah, we see a person who was a lay person, not a preacher, not a teacher, but an ordinary and secular worker in the world's kingdom. But he has that care for God's kingdom, for God's work. And God's work in Nehemiah was to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. But we are here right now in, a, in this modern world that we live in to rebuild the kingdom of God, to rebuild our lives, our personal lives, especially our spiritual lives. Nehemiah, as a layperson, cared about the traditions of the past as well as the needs of the present time. He also cared about the hopes of God's people for the future. For the past, we remember how God has so blessed this church, how God so blessed each one of us. In the present, God is still blessing us, and God still wants us to use our gifts in order to rebuild this kingdom, to rebuild his church. And our hopes for the future should always be the future that God wants for this church. And that future is for people to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ through RBBC. And that's our vision, that's our dream. And that's not only my dream or your dream, that's the dream or the plan of God for us. So what can we do about it? 
Can we say that we really care enough to do God's work? Here in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah shows us his caring attitude in four different ways. So the main idea is this. A person who is caring, caring enough for God's work, there are four things that he does. He asks, he, he weeps, he prays, and he volunteers. Ask, weep, pray, and volunteers. Okay, so look, let's look at verses 1 to 3. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Kislo, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace. So you will see here that Nehemiah was the son of Hakaliah. We don't know who's the, who this Hakaliah was. There's no more introduction about this person. But it says here, he was in the 20th year in the Mount Kislu in Shushan, the palace, which was the citadel or the center of the Persian kingdom. So he was working in a Persian empire. He was not in Jerusalem at this point in time. He was in a foreign land and working as a cup bearer. So in verse 2, it says that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. This person who cared enough for rebuilding the wall, the first thing he did was to ask, what happened to our city? What was the situation of God's people in the city of Jerusalem? So in verse 3, Hanani, one of his brethren, said, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Many years before this, the Babylonian Empire invaded Jerusalem, the southern kingdom of Judah, and King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed almost everything in Jerusalem, including the temple and the walls of Jerusalem. And not only that, he brought many, many people, and one of those people was Daniel to Babylon. And for 70 years, the people of Israel were in that nation, the Babylonian nation. They assimilated into, into the culture of that day, and they became idol, idolatrous worshippers because of King Nebuchadnezzar, except for some few people like Daniel and his three friends. After 70 years, God brought them back to Jerusalem. But only the remnant, only about 50,000 people came back because all the other people remained in Babylon. Well, some people like Nehemiah remained in Persia where he was relocated. So we see here the first thing that a person who cares for God's kingdom, the, the one thing that he does first is to ask. Ask about the information, the facts, about the problem, about the burden. When someone in our midst is experiencing a great burden, trial or challenge in their life, the first thing we do is ask. Sometimes when we ask, the problem is that sometimes when we ask, we pride too much on that person's life. Right? We, we ask everything that probably is not important anymore. And sometimes it come, becomes a 
a way of gossiping about the other person. But we need to limit the facts that we ask from a person. By the way, before we go on, uh, I forgot to tell you, the name Nehemiah actually means the Lord has comforted. The Lord has comforted. And it's very appropriate name for this person because he would bring comfort to God's people. That even though he was not a great preacher or teacher, he will be a comfort to God's people by leading them in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And as I've said a while ago, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Can you imagine a cupbearer? You know, uh, this cupbearer is not just a position that is um, a lowly position. Actually, it's a position of high privilege and influence. You know what a cupbearer does? Before the king drinks his wine or his food, the cupbearer will taste everything. So if the enemy of the king puts some poison in those things, then he will be dead right away. So he was one of the most important and trusted people in the king's court. And as a cupbearer, Nehemiah knew, knew that when he needs to carry out God's plan for Jerusalem, he will be of great use. Remember Queen Esther. Queen Esther was a Jewish woman. And he was select, she was selected as the wife of the Persian king during that time. And Mordecai said during the time when the people of Israel were going to be annihilated by all the non-Jewish people, Mordecai told Esther, God, and he did not say God, but for such a time as this, you were put into this position. So just like Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer, any one of us, it's not necessary that we are only on the church or in the ministry setting. Wherever you are, God can still use you. Even if you work in a secular company, not a company that is very spiritual, God can still use you. Your influence there as the light in that area, as the soul in that company, God can use that as long as you are willing and available and committed to use your influence for God's glory. So when God wants to accomplish a work, He always prepares that person, that person that He's going to use. He's going to use, put that person into the right place at the right time. Nehemiah was at the right place at the right time. Right place because he has the right influence, a cupbearer. And we will see that in chapter 2 next week. He was at the right time because this is a time that people from Babylon and from Persia are going back to Jerusalem. And he will be able to lead thousands and thousands of people to help him out in reconstructing the wall. And you know, when you are the leader of the rebuilding, you need people. If it's only Nehemiah working alone, he would not be able to finish the rebuilding. But because he was able to rally all the people from different parts of the world back to Jerusalem and to give them one commitment and one purpose to rebuild the wall. Can you imagine they were able to finish the wall in 52 days? That wall is not just a simple wall. 
it's it covers a lot as probably ta almost thousands of miles but they were able, able to finish the wall because there's one leader one purpose and their purpose is to honor God in their midst here in verse 3 we see that uh, verse 2 and 3 Nehemiah asked his brethren right what happened to Jerusalem and there are three things that happened to Jerusalem. The remnant were back in Jerusalem, but they were in great affliction and reproach. Affliction is trouble. Affliction is trial. Affliction is challenge. You know, the word affliction is something that presses you on all areas of your life. Imagine yourself in an elevator. wherein the front walls, the side walls, and the back walls are compressing upon you. That's a picture of affliction. Everything all around you is pressing upon you. And when you are pressed from all sides, can you move? It's hard for you to move. It's hard for you to step, to make a step. You're just confined into one place. That's what happens when we are afflicted. We get worried, we get anxious, we cannot move. We don't want to move on in our life. We cannot take any kind of action. That's what's happening to Israel. And they need a leader appointed by God. And here, it's the person of Nehemiah in order for them to take action and rebuild the walls. They were also in reproach. People are laughing at them. They're just a laughing stock of all people. Because during that time, if your walls are broken, then enemies can come in anytime, especially at night. And when that happens, you become the laughing stock. And not only that, because other people around Israel knew that the God of Israel is the living God, the God who made the whole universe. And now they're saying, these people are saying, how come your God is the greatest God of all? But you are not blessed. You are in much affliction and people are laughing at you. And we know the reason why they suffer this kind of consequence. Because they fell into idolatry. They disobeyed the Lord God. God told them, don't bow down to images. But they bowed down. They did not stop worshiping God. But they included the worship of idols with the worship of God. And that's much worse. That's much worse. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and Satan. You cannot serve both God and the world. You cannot serve both God and yourself. You can only serve one. And you need to make a choice. And if you're here right now, you need to make that choice also. Why do you go to church? Is it just to appease yourself? To calm your guilty minds so that people will say that oh he's he or she is going to church every Sunday but is there a change in your life have you made the choice to commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ to have a personal relationship with him it's interesting to note also that Nehemiah of all people sometimes I ask of all people how come Nehemiah is the only person who asked about this reproach and this problem, this burden from the people of Israel. 
I found this out this past week. In Jeremiah chapter 15, let's turn to that. Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 5. That even God had prophesied also, even though he did not mention the name Nehemiah, this could be Nehemiah that he was talking about in Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 5. Because at this point in time of Jeremiah, the people of Israel were also in great affliction because they are being invaded by the Babylonians. And they are now in captivity in Babylon. So in verse 5 of chapter 15, Jeremiah, it says, For who shall have pity upon thee, O Jerusalem? Or who shall bemoan thee? Or who shall go aside to ask how thou doest? One of those people who ask about the troubles happening in Israel, in Jerusalem specifically, was Nehemiah. And the Lord God prophesied that during the time of Jeremiah. And that's why we love the Bible. The Bible is a complete book. When it says something, it fulfills it. All the prophecies that are in the Bible have been fulfilled and still many of them will still be fulfilled in the very near future. Until now, the prophecies about the Lord Jesus Christ, about 300 of them have already been fulfilled and still hundreds of them will still be fulfilled in the very near future. And you know that the statistics of fulfilling a prophecy, general prophecy, almost zero. It's impossible. But if it's prophecy that comes from God, from the Word of God, it's 100% sure that those things will happen. That's why we can trust the Bible. We can trust the God himself. And the Bible tells us, do not trust in men, do not trust in princes, but trust only in the Lord God yourself. And Nehemiah is a person who was like that. He trusted in God. He depended on him that much. Sometimes I ask, how, how come many people, they're not concerned about the church, about the work of God, about the ministry. They're more concerned about themselves. They don't want to ask about what's going on in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it comes to mind that sometimes people do not, do not want to ask because if they ask something and they're given, they're given information, they'll be obliged to act on those information, right? So that, that's, that's why you don't want to ask sometimes. You just want to ignore all those things. Because if you ask, you will be obliged and be accountable to do some kind of action. The problem is that many people in the world right now, especially the lost, they don't want, they don't want to ask about the truth. They don't want to know the truth. And how many of them are in the cemeteries right now, in the graveyards? And they are now going to hell because they don't want to know the truth. They are indifferent. Just like the soil in last week's message, the one that is on the thorny ground, uh, yeah, in the rocky foundation. Indifferent to the word of God. Indifferent to the concerns that appeal to God's heart. Nehemiah asked about the Jewish people. And when he asked, he asked with not only to know 
more information, but he asked with the knowledge that he can do something about the burden and the reproach of God's people. So before we go on to the next point here, are you like Nehemiah? Do you care enough to know the truth, even though the truth is about something that is worse? Or is your interest, or perhaps you're this person who asks about other people's burdens just because you're curious? You just want to know about those things. and You don't have any intention to do something about that information that you will receive. I hope that that's not true. When we read missionary letters, right, especially in the past, we do that. We want to know more about their plans, the programs, the ministries, and how God is working in their churches because we want to pray more wisely about those things. And we don't want just to learn what's happening to them because we want to pray for them. Let us be people who care enough to ask. But you know, asking is not enough, just like what I've said. You need to go on to the next level. You need to weep. So in verse 4, it says here, It came to pass when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. What makes people laugh or weep is an indication of their character also. Some people would laugh at sin. Some people would laugh at mistakes or misfortunes of life. Some people would say, oh, those people uh, suffered this kind of tornado experience in the past because God is judging them. And sometimes we laugh at them or because they are so wicked. They're so immoral in the eyes of God. Some people are like, like that. They laugh at misfortunes. And some people laugh at mistakes. They thought that sin is just a light thing in the eyes of God. Remember, sin is a great abomination in the eyes of God. Even if it's like probably a small sin, because remember, there's no small sin or big sin in the eyes of God. Sin is sin. In my previous religion, we called sin as either venial or mortal. They said that it's venial sin if it's only a small sin. For example, probably lying. It's, it's a mortal sin if it's something that is uh, probably adultery, stealing, killing people. But if it's only a small thing like a white lie, it's a venial sin. So your punishment from the priest will be a small thing also. Just short prayers. But if it's a mortal sin, you need pray, probably to pray the whole beads of rosary and so on. But in the eyes of God, sin is sin. Even lying is sin in the eyes of God. So we don't laugh at sin. The Bible says when people are sinning, when there's misfortune, what do we do? We weep. Paul said in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep rejoice with those who weep. This world is twisted. People laugh at those things that are sinful. When Hollywood celebrities are committing um, dr drug addiction, those drug habits, and committing adulteries, and all kinds of immoral things, people just laugh at those things. Oh, it's okay, it's just normal, because they're celebrities. 
But we should not laugh at sin. We should mourn because of sin. Some people would weep over small disappointments. Oh, my iPhone got broke. It's broken. The glass is broken. And the person is already weeping, teary-eyed, because of this gadget that is broken. We need to weep and to laugh over things that are important in the eyes of God. And we see here that Nehemiah, he wept because the walls of Jerusalem were broken. They were burned down with fire. And they need, they need to rebuild it. Sometimes, for some people, weeping is a sign of weakness, right? Oh, oh don't be a crybaby. You're a guy, you're a, you're a man. You should not be crying. Nehemiah cried, literally. And he wept many days. It's only for just one moment or a day, for several days he wept because of the trials in Jerusalem. Remember, weeping is also a sign of strength. Jeremiah wept for his people. Imagine for 50 years, he was weeping over his nation because he wanted his nation to repent of their sins, but they did not. That's why he was called the weeping prophet. He wept a lot. Paul wept for the lost people. And of course, our Lord Jesus Christ wept for God's people, for those people who are lost specifically. Are you weeping right now? because of the misfortunes of other people. Is God putting a burden in your heart and he's asking you to weep, to mourn, to fast even because of the burdens of those other people? There's so much affliction and burden in the heart of people, but there's good news also when you read the book of Nehemiah. Because if you go to chapters 8 and 9, there will be much joy. The same with, Christian, with our Christian life. When we walk with the Lord, there are times of weeping, there are times of rejoicing. And there's balance always. We rejoice when, God's, when lost people are getting saved, especially last week. When Sister John stepped up into obeying the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ into baptism by immersion. We rejoice over those things, but we weep because this world that we are living in right now is so broken. But you know what? It's not enough for us to just ask and weep. We need to go to a higher level. And what's the next one? We pray. And for many people, that's, also, that's so simplistic. Just pray? Yes. If there's nothing else you can do, pray. Because when you pray, you depend on God. You depend on God to rebuild the wall. You depend on God to rebuild your life. You re depend on God to rebuild your church. So here in verses 5 to 10, we see the prayer of Nehemiah. Let's look at this in verse 5. And said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that giveth covenant and mercy for them, that love him and observe his commandments. This is the first of 12 prayers. The first of the 12 prayers of Nehemiah. How many chapters are there in Nehemiah? 13. And 12 times we 
can see the record of his prayers. It doesn't mean that he only prayed 12 times all throughout his life, but it means that he depended on God on every moment and aspect of his life. He was a prayerful person. You can see that in chapter 2, chapter 4, 5, 6, chapter 9, and then also in chapter 13. He was in, in constant prayer towards the Lord. There's this one uh, late um, Bible preacher, and I like him because he has good commentaries about the Bible. And this is what he said. There's too much working before men. They take note. Too much working before men, but too little waiting before God. In many churches, and sometimes perhaps in our church also, there's too much working. Oh, let's carry out this program. Let's carry out this ministry. But how much time do we spend waiting on God before we proceed on those ministries? I remember one um, doctor, medical doctor. Uh, he was appointed once in a while because he was a deacon of a, a certain church. He was a, uh, called on by the pastor to preach one Sunday. And he was a prayerful person. He prays a lot all throughout the week, even though he was not really preaching or teaching every Sunday. But when he was called on to preach and to teach during that Sunday, he told his colleagues, I need to spend more time in prayer, more so than before. Because this is a great work before God and I need to have much prayer. I need to kneel down before the living God. Nehemiah has the same attitude. He knew that rebuilding the wall is not a, a small thing. It's a big thing. So he wanted to wait on the Lord first because, before he made plans. He did not make any plans right away. He waited on God. He prayed to the Lord. And there's a transition between chapters 1 and chapters 2. Chapters 1 and 2. You might think that when you read chapter 2 verse 1, it's just a day or a week after. There will be four months between 1 and 2. Because in chapter 2, next week, we'll see how he's going to plan for the rebuilding of the walls. It took him about four months to pray about his plans before God. He waited on God before he started the work. Here in verses 5 to 10, we see his prayer. And his prayer is not a selfish prayer. It's not an ATM kind of prayer. Because sometimes when we pray, God give me this. God give me that. God help me. God help me. God comfort me. He started by praising the Lord. So let's take a look at verse 5. Again, he said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God. And don't be scared. The word terrible here means awesome, wonderful. He is a great and awesome God. The first thing that he does. Why is it important for Nehemiah and for all of us to praise God first and foremost when we come to him? Because that's what he deserves. That's our form of worship. That tells us and tells God that we don't depend ourselves on ourselves, but we depend on him because he is the ultimate power, the ultimate supreme being in our life. 
And that's what we do. We do not say, God, you're great and awesome because I'm just flattering you. He knows when we're just flattering him. But he knows also if our heart is right and committed to say those praises to the Lord. So he said, great and terrible God. You are the God who keeps covenant and mercy. The God who is faithful. The God who is merciful. And aren't those the character and the attributes of God that is mentioned all throughout the Bible? And that's how we start our prayer. Uh, in our discipleship class in the past, and also with the young people, you remember I taught you how to pray? What was the the acronym or the acrostic? A-C-T-S, right? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then supplication. The last one is supplication. The last one is, are your requests. But the previous three things are all about God. Adoration, worship, confession, telling the Lord all your sins, all your imperfections, and then thanking Him for being faithful and being merciful to you. So He is a God who is faithful and mercy for them that love Him and observe His commandments. And then in verse 6, He says, Let thine ear now be attentive. So He praises God first before He utters His prayer request. Here in verse 6, He said, let your ear be attentive. Isn't God attentive to us? Of course, he's always attentive to us. But there are times that he cannot incline his ears unto us. And what are those situations? Those are situations when we are straying away from him. But when we are brokenhearted, we are contrite in our hearts, in our spirit, and we are really dependent on him, that's the time when he is really attentive to all our prayers. And we are going to be sure that he's going to answer all our prayers in his own time and way. So he said, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant. Take note, this is the first thing that he mentioned, thy servant. He did not say, Lord, I'm, I'm your worker. I'm, I'm worthy of your blessings. But he said, I'm your servant. Actually, the word servant means I'm your slave. There's a contrast here. Nehemiah was a servant to the king of Persia. But now he says, although I'm a servant of the Persian king, I am more of a servant of the true and living God. I am your servant. And he said, I pray before thee, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. So that's the second thing. Adoration and then confession. And he said, we have sinned. He included himself. He did not say, Lord, I pray for these people because they are sinners. They are unrighteous. He did not say, they. He said, we. He included himself because he knew that he was also imperfect. He was not perfect. He committed mistakes. He committed sins against God also. So this is what we call a national confession of sin. He included himself in that national confession. And then in verse 7, he outlined to us what was the sin. He said, We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant 
Moses. We have dealt very corruptly. We remember that the sinning against God is ultimately disobedience. When you disobey your parents, is that sin before God? Of course. Because the Bible says, honor your parents. Children, obey your parents. Okay? Brother Ron is smiling. Right? But of course, we obey only our parents as long as they are in the Lord. If they tell us what is biblical, what is pleasing unto the Lord. And then in verse 8, Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest, thy servant Moses, saying, If you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence, and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. So you see, Nehemiah knew from Moses' teachings that when God's people confesses their sin and then repent, turn away from their sins, then God will forgive them. The same with all of us. God has given us 1 John 1, 9. How many of us remember and memorize 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's a way out when we sin against God. God is still faithful and merciful and compassionate. He forgives us our sins, but we need to confess them. You know the word confess is not just telling a priest or telling another person about your sin. The word confess actually means to agree. To agree with God that what you have committed is a great disdain and a great abomination before the Lord God. That's what it means when we confess. Lord, I agree that I have sinned against you. I agree that I disobeyed your commands. Lord, I agree that what I did was not right in your eyes. That's what we do when we confess our sins before God. That's why we don't confess to other people. We confess only to the Lord God. Because the other person that we're going to confess our sins, just like in, the, in my previous religion, he's also the same person as me. Imperfect, a sinner. And he cannot forgive my sins. Only God can forgive my sins. Only Jesus can forgive our sins. And then lastly in verse 10, Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. So he ends up his prayer with confidence in God. He is confident that God will continue to redeem his people. And because he said, These are your servants and your people. So he knew that God will ultimately, God will ultimately redeem his people and carry out his plan for the people of Israel. Too often when we plan our projects and then we ask God to bless. That sometimes we are like that, right? So okay, God, before I pray unto you, before I commit all these things to you, I'm going to make my own my plan. Okay. Day one, day two, day three, day four, five, six, and seven. And then after day six and seven, after all my planning, God, will you bless my plan? That's the wrong thing to do. We need to pray first and then you plan next. 
as God directs you. Because if we plan first, we're going to fail. We might be successful for a time, but we will surely fail if we do, if we do plan without praying first. Wait on God first before started, you start working. Lastly, it's not enough to just ask, to weep, and to pray. Because many of us would pray, Oh, I've been praying for this person. Okay, I'll pray, Pastor, if I can lead the singing. Oh, Pastor, I, I, I can pray if I can help out with the other ministries of the church. If God is asking you to use your gifts and that you will be the answer to your own prayers, then you need to move. You need to act on it. That's what verse 11 tells us. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attended to the prayer of thy servant, to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name. And prosper, make it successful, O Lord. I pray thee, thy servant is talking about himself, and grant him, Nehemiah, mercy in the sight of this man, the Persian king. For I was the king's cupbearer. It was implied here, after at the end of his prayer, that God, I've been praying to you about your own people, about your servants, but now I feel the tug in my heart that you are going to use me to lead your people to rebuild the walls. Have you ever felt that way also? When you've been praying about, Lord, I've been praying for this ministry in our church, someone to lead the Bible study, someone to lead the singing, someone to lead the other ministries, perhaps the evangelism ministry of RBBC. God, are you telling me that I'm the one that you're choosing and appointing to lead this ministry? Nehemiah felt that way. He knew that at the end of his prayer, God wanted him to lead the people of Israel to rebuild the world. He did not say, Lord, will you please send another person? Or probably this person beside me. I'm praying, Lord, I'm praying that someone can lead this ministry. I'm praying for this other person. You know, when God puts that prayer in your heart about a certain ministry, about a certain person to reach out to, God wants to use you. God wants to use you. Don't tell other, don't tell God, please send other people. Let us be like Isaiah. When God says in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8, Whom shall I send before my people to preach to them, to repent? Isaiah said, Here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. Don't ever say, Lord, you have talked to me about this thing. But now, Lord, here am I. Lord, will you send other people? I, I will tell you, Lord, this other person is more capable. Remember, no one is qualified in the eyes of God. Not even me is qualified to serve the Lord. He calls people and then he qualifies them. He gives them the abilities. Jeremiah was like that. He thought that he was a young child, a young lad. He was not able to speak, just like other prophets during his time. But God says, I'm going to give you my words. 
to put my words into your lips. Don't worry about that. Just obey my instructions. God may be calling you to do something. Could be part of this church or could be outside this church or whatever that is. Whatever burden that God is putting to your heart, God wants to use you to lift up that burden. It could be the burden of another person in this congregation. God is telling you, move, act on it. God is still looking for people who care. Are you the person who care enough? Care enough to ask, to weep, to pray, and even to volunteer and say, here my Lord send me. I pray and hope that this message touches your heart. And whatever that burden is in your heart, you will give them to the Lord. And if you are the answer to that prayer, then act on it. Because you will miss all the blessings if you neglect the calling from the Lord. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for encouraging us through the word of God, O oh Lord, how you have called Nehemiah to be using his influence, his position, in order to help rebuild the wall. And perhaps, Lord, you're calling any one of us or all of us to carry out your plan and purpose in your kingdom. Whatever that may be, O oh Lord, may we be attentive to your call. May you help us, O oh Lord, to commit to that call and say, just like Isaiah, here am I, Lord, send me. So, Lord, thank you again for the blessing of your word, and I pray that you will continue to guide us all throughout the week and help us, Lord, to reach out to at least one lost person to give a tract, give the Gospels, O oh Lord, or even talk to them about our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us all stand up, please.